So this morning we continue our journey through Lent and the exploration of the fruit of the Spirit. And this morning we're going to specifically be looking at joy. Now, if I'm going to be honest with you, um, I must admit that ever since William first asked me to preach on joy some weeks ago, I felt a bit of trepidation. Why me? Who am I to preach on joy? You see, as an Enneagram 4, I'm wired towards melancholy. I'm prone to see the glass half empty, and my natural language is the language of lament, not the language of humor and laughter and cheer, which is why, by the way, I love the season of Lent. <laughs> so it probably won't surprise you to hear that when the Disney movie Inside Out, which creatively personifies emotions inside a little girl's brain, came out a few years ago, it was the character Sadness who I loved. She literally was the color blue, and she moped about and could barely drag her body off the ground for half the movie, and I loved her. Forget about the character Joy, it was the character Sadness who won my heart in the movie. And then there's the, the fact that in addition to my wiring, the last decade of my life has been challenging in a number of ways, as I've dealt with betrayal, and displacement from a number of moves and grief over some lost dreams and loneliness as I've left my family and friends behind and I've had to make friends over and over again. Over these last few years, I found myself laughing less than I used to do, singing less often, which was always a source of joy for me and seldom tapping into that silliness that was so a part of my childhood and young adulthood and just longing for more. So who am I to preach on joy? Well, I'll tell you who I am. I am a child of God who is loved and cared for by my Creator, who created me for a life of unspeakable joy. My wiring and my circumstances may at times make it more challenging for me to tap into the deep and overflowing river of joy that is available to us in the Holy Spirit, but that river is a part of my inheritance. So I will spend my life seeking out that joy, speaking about it, and inviting others to refresh themselves at that river of joy with me. Friends, let us be refreshed this morning. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your Holy Spirit. Thank you that the Holy Spirit comes to transform us, to bring us your love, and to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Jesus, this morning we particularly pray that you would cultivate the fruit of joy in our lives, and that would overflow into our world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. So as, so as I was preparing for this sermon this morning, I realized that one of the difficulties we have as a people when we speak about joy is that people's definitions and experiences of joy can be so widely different. So what is joy? And what awakens joy? Or in the words of Marie Kondo, what sparks joy in our lives? Is joy predominantly a feeling? And if so, how does that feeling manifest itself? In happiness, delight, contentment, elation, 
laughter? Or is joy more of a choice that one makes in life to view circumstances in a certain positive way? And how does joy come about? Does it emerge in relationship to our external circumstances, or is it more internally generated? Well, in the answer to all those questions, I want to say yes, but the challenge with talking about joy is that it is so robust. Yes, joy can absolutely manifest itself as emotions or feelings, or it may not. Yes, joy can absolutely arise in relationship to our external circumstances, circumstances that are good and right and beautiful as God would have them to be. Or oppositely, joy could emerge as a choice despite our external circumstances. And guess what? Sometimes people who exhibit joy don't even know that they have it themselves, but other people experience it deeply within them. So what is going on here? What is joy? Well, the reality is that joy is more than feelings or choices <coughs> or responses to circumstances. Joy can include all these things, but is so much more. Joy is a fruit of the spirit, is a gift of God cultivated in our souls that transforms our hearts, our relationships, and our interactions with the world. In the words of Dallas Willard, joy is not the mere sensation of pleasure. It is a pervasive, constant, and unending sense of well-being that flows from vision, peace, righteousness, and hope. Friends, joy is a condition of our hearts, a deep knowing in our souls that all is well with the world, that God loves us and has good plans for us, no matter what our current circumstances are or what the state of our world might be. Joy is not fleeting, for the Holy Spirit sows it into our souls, and then that seed takes root. The question, however, is once it is planted, will we cultivate that seed so that it will grow up, blossom, and bear much fruit? Or will we allow that seed to be stunted in growth? For the reality is, friends, is that we do live in a broken world with great pain and great sorrow. And as we wrestle with that pain, as well with our own doubts and deficiencies and our overall fragility in this world, we can prevent that seed of joy from growing and blossoming in our souls. We can indeed stunt its growth. So God calls us to cultivate joy. And when I say cultivate, I don't mean that we're to muster up enough strength or willpower so that we can just buck up and be happy when we really are not happy. We are not just to put on a happy face. Any of us who have gone through any degree of depression or grief know that that is terrible advice. I also don't mean that we are to ignore or to stuff our pain. In the movie Inside Out, which I referenced before, there was a moment when the character Joy draws a small circle of sadness. She's back there. And she tells sadness that she should stay inside there and not move. Heaven forbid that the little girl whose emotions they control should feel any degree of sadness. So Joy said, stay put. But that was not right. 
Well, thankfully, by the end of the movie, Joy came to realize just how important sadness was, and indeed, that the two emotions, a sadness and joy, go together. In fact, it is interesting because you will notice that the character Joy has the color hair blue just as sadness does, an indication in this world that joy and sadness actually do go hand in hand. Friends, a mark of our own maturity in the spiritual life is the ability to hold these two things together, joy and sorrow. Therefore, our quest in life is not to try to pursue happiness while avoiding pain at all costs. For as we know, to follow Jesus does mean to count the costs. But on the other hand, it is not our goal either to fall into a life of endless despair, cynicism, and unhappiness as we encounter the brokenness of this world. Rather, we are to make room for sorrow, and then we are to cultivate joy. The latter, which according to Bano, is an act of defiance. An act of defiance in the face of all those powers and principalities that would like to destroy our joy. So how do we engage in this act of defiance? Well, I believe that our readings from the psalm today help us understand how to cultivate joy. In particular, it shows us three ways. We are to live in God's presence and embrace his purposes. We are to notice God's providential care and give him praise. And we are to trust in God's promises. Let's begin with living in God's presence and embracing his purposes. If you recall from the psalm we read today, David, the writer of the psalm, was undergoing some difficult circumstances. In fact, his enemies were trying to kill him, a fact that becomes even more clear in Psalm 17 and Psalm 22. Yet, despite his circumstances, David was able to write, Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. Then shifting to second person and addressing God directly, David said, You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. So regardless of all the crazy things happening around him, David was amazingly able in that moment to cultivate joy. How, you might ask? Well, because he rested in God's presence. He knew that God was with him, and that alone was enough to cultivate joy. For you see, God in his very being is joy and is the source of all joy. The theologian Karl Barth talked about God as being one who is radiant with joy. As the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit delight in one another, and as delight overflows outwardly and into the hearts of all who abide in God. So you see, when we rest in God's presence just as David did, God's river of joy can overflow into us and out of us, planting a seed of joy in our hearts which then takes root and blossoms and bears fruit. Unfortunately for too many of us, we have grown up with a picture of God who is angry, stern, or sorrowful. And so when we come to God, we often fail to tap into that deep river of joy that is available to us. But what if we understood, friends, that God is actually joy, 
And then when God expresses anger or sorrow, that is not who he is at his core, but that is his loving response to the brokenness of this world, which is messing with his people and preventing them from living into the fullness of his love and joy. What if we understood that Jesus, the man of sorrows, was actually joy incarnate? For good reasons, we Christians often focus on the many sorrows that Jesus experienced as he was rejected, abandoned, and crucified so that he could bear the sins of the world on his shoulders. But what about everything else that was said about Jesus? One pastor who I respect has called Jesus a walking party, who is portrayed in the Gospels as a man who continually drew children and others to himself, and who was always almost on his way to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. Indeed, some of the people who opposed Jesus in his day said that he was a glutton. Jesus knew how to celebrate. Why? Because he was joy in his very being, and he desired to share that joy with others. What if we came to Jesus knowing this truth about him? In the Gospel of John, Jesus said to his disciples, Abide in my love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Friends, Jesus desires us to have this joy. While Jesus knew that his disciples would experience sorrow in this life, he nevertheless fully expected that his disciples would have this joy by abiding in him and by doing his work. And indeed, we've seen this happen over and over again throughout the centuries, starting with Jesus' first disciples. Think of the time that the 72 disciples came back to Jesus after having been on a mission to proclaim the kingdom of God and exercising demons. How did they return? Well, according to Luke, they returned with joy. For not only were the disciples abiding in Jesus' presence, but they were also embracing God's will and purposes for their life. When disciples do Jesus' work in the world, they experience God's joy. Listen to what Evelyn Underhill has to say about this. This is the secret of joy. We shall no longer strive for our own way, but commit ourselves easily and simply to God's way, acquiesce in his will, and in so doing, find our peace. So friends, let us rest in God's presence through practices like worship and solitude, prayer, engagement with scripture, and in other ways. And let us embrace his purposes by sharing the gospel, both in word and deed. For when we do so, joy will arise in our souls. But let us do even more than that. Let us also praise God for all his provisions. Returning to today's psalm, we see that David had another way of cultivating God's joy in life. Not only did he rest in God's presence, but he saw God's provisions, and he praised God for them. David said, Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. 
I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Then David went on to affirm that God would not abandon him, but would keep his body secure. So in this moment, even with all the crazy things happening in his life, David saw God's providential care for him, and he thanked him for it. Such a simple act, but such a powerful one. Friends, if we are to cultivate joy in our lives, it is important that we notice all the ways that God is providing for us. As David acknowledged in this psalm, apart from God, we have no good thing. Unfortunately, however, since the beginning of time, starting with Adam and Eve, we've been under the misguided notion that God is holding back from us, stingily keeping things from us. Therefore, we think that we must seek out these good things on our own. Yet, this is a lie. The very opposite is true. Yes, it may be true because of the brokenness of the world that our lives might not quite look like we had hoped they would look like. And yes, because of the brokenness of this world, we may have things that are lacking in our lives. But if we take the time to notice, we'll begin to see the thousands of ways, big and little, that God is using to bless us. God is a good giver and is in the business of abundance. So it is important for us to take time in our lives to notice all that is good and beautiful and true in the world, to notice all those things that lead to abundance and flourishing in our lives and in the lives of others. And it is important that we notice all those things that awaken joy in us, whether that is the beauty of nature, arts, or music, the joy of creating something new or doing our work really well, or the delights of loving and serving others, or whatever it may be, it's important that we take notice of them and to praise God for them. A very essential truth for us to embrace this morning is that God created us for a life of joy. That is what we were made for. So it is not surprising when all the things I mentioned, plus many more, awaken true joy in us. Just as I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, true joy can be awakened by our external circumstances. Circumstances that are in line with God's will and are the way the world was meant to be. It is not a problem if we find happiness and joy in these things as if somehow delight in these things is somehow unspiritual. No, it is not a problem. The problem arises when we pursue these things in ways that God never intended it to be, and when we pursue these things for themselves. In other words, when they become idols, rather than good gifts from the eternal giver, gifts that are intended to connect us into the very heart and life of God. So friends, let us pay attention to these good gifts that bring us joy and give God thanks and praise. Some practices that can help us embrace these good gifts include slowing down so that we take notice of the present rather than rushing off to what is next. Sabbath, where we can take a whole day to delight in God and his good creation. Examine, where we make room in our days to think through all the ways that God has blessed us. And retreat, 
where we can get away from the bustle of life to rest, reflect, delight, and give thanks. And that brings us to our final way to cultivate joy, to trust in God's promises. Once again, returning to our psalm from today, in the midst of chaos, David was able to say, for you will not abandon my soul to shield, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. For you have made known to me the path of life. You will bring, you will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Let me say that last part again. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. In this statement, David recognized that God's providential care extended beyond this life. Ultimately, even if he died, he trusted that he would have eternal life that was filled with joy and filled with God's presence. Therefore, David could cultivate joy even in that moment, even when his circumstances were not joy-inducing, but were in fact moments that brought pain and anguish. Why? Because he had great hope. And friends, we can do the same. We can trust in God's promises as relayed to us by prophets like Isaiah. We can trust in God's promises as demonstrated powerfully in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For one day, we too also will be resurrected and will be fully caught up in the love and the joy of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the new heavens and the new earth, there will be no tears or pain. There will instead be an abundance of wholeness, flourishing, and joy. For God created us for such a life as this. With this truth in mind, we can cultivate joy in the here and now, no matter what our external circumstances might be. As Henry Nouwen has said, Joy is the experience of knowing that you are unconditionally loved and that nothing, sickness, failure, emotional distress, oppression, war, or even death can take that love away. Joy is based on the spiritual knowledge that while the world in which we live is shrouded in darkness, God has overcome the world. Friends, Jesus has truly overcome the world. A new day has dawned, and one day all will be as God had originally intended it to be. Our pain is temporary, but joy is forever. Thus we can trust that God is in control of our lives, and ultimately everything is going to be okay. As Julian of Norwich once said, all shall be well, all shall be well and all manners of things shall be well. With this reality in mind, we can therefore choose to cultivate joy in our lives now as an act of defiance in the face of a broken world and as a sign of what is to come. Now, how should we go about doing this? Well, friends, there are so many ways we can express our trust in God's promises and cultivate that joy. But one that is particularly helpful is simply engaging in weekly worship in the Eucharist, where we come together on a weekly basis to remember that Jesus has overcome the world through his miraculous resurrection 
and that we are invited to his table of abundance, love, and joy. We can also celebrate the various feast days throughout the year that our church calendar has. We can give ourselves excuses for it to get together so that we may delight in God and delight in each other. We can also throw random parties throughout the year. We don't really need an excuse so that we might have fun with friends and family and neighbors so that we can continually remind ourselves that joy is our destiny, that joy is our last word. My friends, in the season of Lent, we place a particular focus on the sacrifices that Jesus has made for the world and on the sacrifices that he is calling us to make in order to follow him. And that is good and right, and I commend that. There's no doubt that there is a cost to following Jesus, and we must count that cost. But as we come to a close this morning on this second Sunday in Lent, I want to remind you of why Jesus did what he did. The author of Hebrews wrote, Let our fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Did you hear that? For the joy set before him, that is why Jesus died on the cross, for the joy that would come when he was raised from the dead, when his people were also raised from the dead and then were invited to dwell forever in the radiant joy of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So friends, as we live out our lives, let us cultivate joy. No matter who we are, how we are wired or what our circumstances may be, we are loved by God. And we have been created for a life of immense joy. That is our inheritance. So let's tap into that deep river of joy that is available to us in the Holy Spirit and allow the fruit of joy to grow up inside us and to overflow into the world all around us. And now in the words of Paul, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with the hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.